0: Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome back to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Happy to have you guys listening in today. We have uh, Dr. Ian Sheldon, Professor and Anderson Chair of Agricultural Marketing. He focuses on trade and policy, and he's with the Department of Agricultural, Environmental, and Developmental Economics. It's quite a mouthful but I think it matches um, the importance of what you do for us. So welcome, Ian.
1: Oh, nice to be here. Thanks for asking me to be on today.
0: So we're to focus on trade today. You guys put out a report through the department back in May. It showed that Ohio was the 10th largest exporting state, and uh, just under 8% of that was agriculture. Does that still hold true today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing is to understand that um, as a state, the soybeans are by far our largest export commodity, followed by corn. And then, if you track down um, meat and dairy products, are a little bit further down, but but soybeans, is soybean exports just dominate, and at least until the Chinese imposed tariffs. Um, we probably exported about one in three rows of soybeans for being exported to China. So in 2016, we exported about $1.8 billion worth of soybeans out of the state, and about a third of that would have been to China. So by far, the most important export commodity out of the state is the soybeans, and China is very important in terms of market share.
2: Canada is another really important trade partner, so it's been exciting to see in the news that we finally have a trade agreement back with with Canada as part of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. What sorts of impacts do you see that making for agriculture?
1: Well, really, from, from my standpoint, the uh, remember before we started renegotiating that, we pretty much had free trade in the major commodities, uh, corn, soybeans, beef, pork, Um, These were highly uh, liberalized markets, for all intents and purposes, we had free trade. In dairy, um, Mexico has become a very important export market, particularly for cheese. Um, But as you know, the Canadian dairy market um, is a highly um, protected market uh, with respect to both production quotas. And they still have in place uh, what we call a tariff rate quota system. Although you should put that in the context that the US dairy sector is also uh, a sector that's um, heavily intervened in by the US government. And we also have a tariff rate quota on dairy imports from outside of North America. So my view of of NAFTA, sorry, the new version of NAFTA, and I'm still going to call it NAFTA. I I think this name changes. It's kind of window dressing to be quite honest. Basically, before the negotiations began, people, economists like myself, and people in the industry were saying, "Please do no harm to the trading relationship with respect to agriculture." And as far as I can tell, we pushed back on that to the point where I think we're going to go back to pretty liberal trade in in certainly in soybeans and corn exports, particularly down to Mexico. And um, of course, we've got this modest increase in market access in the dairy sector. Uh, The Canadians are going to increase the amount of market access. It's about 3.6% additional market access in in dairy. And they're they're backing off the rules on, um, I think it was class seven milk. Imports. This was this um, milk that's used for industrial, for milk for food processing, Um, is going to be liberalised. But you have to remember that under the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which the US did not sign, both Canada and Mexico were partners in. We would have still increased our um, dairy exports to Canada, and we've increased the amount by a very modest amount. I saw a number in The Guardian newspaper last week that said the dairy concession is equivalent to 0.003% of total U.S. exports. So dairy exports to Canada are a very small portion of total trade with Canada. Now, this doesn't mean to say this isn't good for U.S. dairy producers and Ohio dairy producers, but it's a very modest improvement in market access. I think that... um, It's important to remember that until uh, the US removes the steel import tariffs, which we haven't done against Mexico and Canada on aluminum and steel, uh, Mexico in particular still is maintaining an an import tariff on processed pork. And Mexico is our number one market for processed pork products. So the not, not collapsing NAFTA is a good thing. But I am not sure we've gained a huge amount um, in agriculture, except for this uh, modest increase in market access for dairy products. The biggest change that NAFTA, NEF, sorry, the US Canada Mexico free trade agreement is bringing about is, I think, in the automobile sector, um, where mm-hmm. we are changing the rules of origin over basically the content of automobiles. Some North American sources has increased uh, beyond what it was under NAFTA, um, and of course, um, content now certain amount of this content has to be produced in France, where the median wage has to be the median wage in the US. So I think that's potentially bad for North American, US particular consumers of automobiles. I think it's going to drive up automobile prices because we're interfering to some extent with the value chain in automobiles. It needs a global value chain. And so um, everything I've been reading from experts on the automobile sector is probably going to push up uh, the consumer price of automobiles in the U.S. So the deal is good in the sense that we haven't undone NAFTA but I don't think the gains to agriculture... In other words, we're, we're going back to where we were, more or less, with a modest gain in dairy, but right now we haven't solved the process of port, exports um, and the process issue until we get rid of the steel and lemon tariffs. So my view is pretty much like what most economists are saying is this is a modest improvement over nafta all round.
0: Well, that's relatively good news, I suppose. At least we didn't lose anything as long as we can get the processed pork worked out.
1: And the cheese export cheese act the US Dairy Cheese Industry Association has been is pretty upset about the fact that the Mexican tariffs are still in place for cheese imports because of the US. deal. So this is the this was outside of NAFTA. This is a retaliatory tariff by the Mexicans against the U.S. steel tariffs. Oh, okay. And they, they never put in place any tariffs on corn because they need corn, but they did put in place tariffs on processed pork and processed cheese. And as of last week, those tariffs, steel tariffs hadn't been removed, and so the Mexican tariffs had been removed. You know, processed pork, Mexico's our number one market and they have become our number one cheese export market. So yes, what's happened with Canada is good, but what's happened with Mexico, we haven't we haven't fixed that problem yet. And my guess is that um, Congress still has to approve of the new free trade agreement with Canada and Mexico because the argument is that NAFTA was signed by Congress back in nineteen ninety four and so they could potentially still hold up the agreement and there was always the threat if canada had not signed an agreement with the us that the and that would have been a very significant loss of um, export markets for not just agriculture but for industry in general i mean for ohio canada is our number one export market and mexico's our second most important export market not just in agriculture so losing the, i mean Can, canada's an important export market for the us the U.S. is obviously the number one export market for the Canadians, so that would have been a pretty disastrous failure, in my opinion, if we hadn't signed with Canada. And I think that Canada was willing to give up on dairy uh, because it was able to get the, uh, the trade resolution dispute, the trade dispute resolution mechanism that existed under NAFTA, that was put in place originally to get Canada to sign the U.S. Canadian free trade agreement back in the late 1980s, we kept the trade uh, dispute resolution mechanism, which for me, as somebody who follows trade policy, I think is a really good thing. And I thought it was really bad if we got rid of that dispute resolution mechanism, although Canada did go to the WTO with a country of origin of labelling dispute. So, um, you know, it's not a perfect uh, dispute resolution mechanism but um, that was something that was outside of just NAFTA. It involved, you know, the, the country of origin of labeling affected more than just Canada. So I think that's why we went to the WTO. I went back 12 months and said, don't do do not mess up NAFTA. I would say pretty much we haven't messed up NAFTA. <laughs> but there's some side issues we still, we still need to fix. Yeah, I didn't
0: realize it, but um, just under 50% of our exports go to Canada or Mexico for Ohio, so that's pretty much for Ohio.
1: But I mean, I mean, my view is we, we, have, we have modernized NAFTA a little bit, um, but we would have got a lot of that stuff under the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, um, and we would have had access to an even bigger market under the Trans-Pacific Partnership, particularly Japan. And that's why I think, um, yeah, we, we signed NAFTA point 0.2, of, you know, one, of whatever the whatever you want to call the new version of the agreement, but we didn't sign the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So on balance, I think it's beneficial, but we could have done better if we'd signed CPP as far as I'm concerned for, for agriculture, especially getting into the Japanese market.
2: Mm-hmm. So moving back over to China, there's a lot more uncertainty in how trade is going to play out with them in the future. Could you give us an update on where this, what our status is with China right
0: now?
1: Well, the, nothing much has changed uh, in terms of how it's affecting agriculture, um, and by imposing tariffs on uh, solar panels and um, uh, washing machines, I think it was originally back in. Year, excuse me, the year, early part of the year, the Chinese retaliated on sorghum imports. And we pretty much, sorghum doesn't really affect Ohio uh, because we're not, we don't produce much sorghum. But it affected mostly southern states and states like Illinois. Uh, and a big winner from that was probably Australia. Australia picked up most of the US's market share in sorghum. Um, but then the big one was when we implemented the aluminum and steel tariffs, uh, not just against China but against several you know, across the board. Uh, then the U.S. implemented additional tariffs, um, which the Chinese retaliated against, and the Chi- in particular, Chinese, the Chinese retaliated against our three most important export sectors, which was aerospace, automobiles, and soybeans. Soybeans is our from the U.S.'s standpoint is our number two export market. Um, I mean China's our number one export market but this is our number two most important export sector to China and the Chinese implemented a 25 percent uh, tariff against our imports which raised the overall tariff for 20 to 28 uh, percent. Right now China already has a three percent tariff against um, all imports of soybeans not just from China So this is a discriminatory increase in tariffs against the US. um, Whereas Brazil, which is uh, obviously our biggest competitor, only faces a 3% import tariff on its exports. So, two big effects I can tell you about. Um, uh, The the Brazilian export price uh, out of Paranagua, that's their major port, is higher. Than the Gulf price, and we're talking about a right now the latest data I looked at that Ben Brown sent me this afternoon. We're talking about um, a wedge between the U.S. Gulf price and the Brazilian price of about two dollars forty-five a bushel. Wow! And out of Central Ohio, that's even an even bigger wedge because for this basis, there's a basis guard um, between that would account for transport between Central Ohio. The Central Ohio price is even lower than the Gulf price because of the basis. Um, So it's exactly what international trade economists would predict. China is a large enough importer and the US is a large enough exporter that there's a discount on the US price. And the the Brazilians are probably getting what the world price would have been. So they're getting about $11 a bushel, just below $11 a bushel. And we're getting just below eight dollars fifty a bushel. So right now, that wedge is about what the tariff would be. So if you take the U.S. court price, multiply it by twenty-eight percent, you get that wedge. Which makes yeah. And from the, I just read the latest report out of Farm Doc out of Illinois today. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, we've seen a big slump. We've seen a slump in US exports and then to China and that demand from China has shifted to Brazil and uh, we have you know, some exports to the EU and other places because you know there's a, there's a discount on the US price but those other China is by far our largest export market so right now uh, this is looking to put a big dent in US farming income, net farming income both at the national level and at the Ohio level.
0: Yeah, so I heard the comment the other day that the soybean prices were not a result of trade issues, but from oversupply. But it sounds like from what you've stated that it is highly a result of the trade
1: issues. I think prices would have fallen anyways, but I think the tariff is driving down prices by more than they would have dropped otherwise. Okay. I mean, just, just look at that Brazilian port price. Yeah. that to be because of the tariff. So remember, the Chinese are not putting a tariff on imports from Brazil. So right now, their demand has shifted to Brazil. And as long as the uh, eventually the US price will fall low enough that if you add the tariff on to the US price, right? Mm-hmm. The US compete with Brazil um but right now that doesn't seem to be happening even though we're getting pretty close to that U.S port price plus the tariff is now approaching what the Brazilian price is so eventually China may start shifting demand to to Brazil but my guess is they're going to keep importing from Brazil and today I was uh reading a discussion that suggested Brazil may actually start importing from the US all the time they're exporting to Brazil.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: but remember, it's companies like ADM and Cargill who make those decisions, not countries don't trade, it's firms okay. that trade. Um, and the only reason we can see that the Chinese aren't importing yet, you know, returning to importing from the US, I just talked about this was Ben Brown before I came to talk to you guys, was the the Brazilian price is the price from the Brazilian port to Shanghai or to the port near Beijing. Those are the two major ports. That doesn't include the cost of transport into inland China. So you you need to include transport costs. And the Chinese are doing things like they are They are changing their feed rations for livestock, for for pork, hogs in particular. And they're also subsidizing corn growers in China to plant soybeans, not corn. So the Chinese are trying to do everything they can to protect themselves from the spike in the internal price and the need to import from Brazil as opposed to the US. Um, But if the US price, you know, the pork price continues to fall, there'll come a point where they may start switching to US import sources, even though it would be at a very low price. It. So I, you know, I, I was reading Carl Zuloff's piece out and Gary Schnicky's piece out of um, Illinois today at a farm doc, and they were saying there are other things affecting prices, as you suggested. Mm-hmm. But I still think tariffs are having a pretty significant impact. but certainly in the short run.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting. I mean, I think Brazil still has some transportation issues down there that keeps them a little less competitive.
1: I don't know if you're very familiar. Yeah, but, those, but those port prices are inclusive of the transport costs, and the bushel is is inclusive of transport costs. So remember, Paranagua is closer to China than the Gulf. So they're both, they're both going, you know... Um, around around to to China Um, and so this accounts for you're you're thinking about internal transport costs yeah include that port price and the port price in the Gulf accounts for transport costs costs. so yeah I mean the Chinese China itself has been putting money into improving Brazilian
0: Oh really?
1: Yeah, I mean the big thing in China is sorry in Brazil is of course they don't have the railroad system that we have,
0: mm-hmm. in
1: the U.S. So, um, so everything we're seeing is accounting for the differential transport costs. Better better internal transport costs here in the U.S. But it's more expensive to get it from the U.S. to Brazil than it is from Brazil, sorry from the U.S. to China than it is from Brazil to China. So. All in all, I think those port prices, that, that wedge is reflecting the, the tariff, the tariff effect.
0: Yeah.
1: Yield, okay. You know, yield effects obviously affecting prices. I, I don't deny that. But from a farming standpoint, it doesn't really matter whether it's yield or tariff. We're still seeing going to see <laughs> I'm not sure, right?
0: Yeah. Yep, unfortunately. So
2: when we look at this trade war, do you think that, that our market is going to rebound once, these, once it's all resolved? Or do you think there are going to be long-term impacts that we're going to have to work through?
1: Well, you, you, know, you know, I read in dot today that the, the Chinese trade negotiators are supposed to, to Washington again in November. Um, although I did hear the U.S. the Chinese trade among the US yesterday they're not sure who they're negotiating with because it's not clear who's actually setting American trade policy. Is it the administration? Is it the Department of Commerce? Is it the U.S. Trade Representative? Is it Peter Navarro, the trade advisor? So it's not, there's a little bit of uncertainty about precisely who they're supposed to be negotiating with. My guess it's the Department of Commerce, which we, and the U.S. Trade Representative jointly. So it's, if if tomorrow the, the Chinese and the US backed off, then what I assume what would happen would be the US pork price would start to increase. The tariff would be removed by China. We would back off our tariffs against the Chinese and we would you know, things would start to go back to normal, although you know I think some damage has been done even in the short run that we've lost some export market share for this year what would be concerning is if this tariff you know if they don't reach some kind of agreement to ratchet down the trade war then the Chinese import tariffs are going to remain in place for more than one season potentially mm-hmm. I think long you know I was, taught, I was on a panel downtown in Columbus two weeks ago with a farmer from Delaware and he made the comment and that American farmers through their, you know, groups like the, the U.S. Soybean Association and the Ohio Soybean Association and the, the, the corn and the wheat growers have worked really hard over the last 20 years to expand their market share in China. Now obviously Chinese demand has exploded because their, their demand for meat has exploded and their, they can't feed those livestock or to buy themselves with enough meat. Um, so we've done a really good job of developing market share for soybeans, and corn, and processed meat products in China, both particularly products. And pork, I think, has largely been because the North American pork value chain has become so efficient under NAFTA. Um, so we either export protein and carbohydrates to to China, or we export meat, which contains soy and corn. And I think if we, we run the risk of losing that losing that market share, in the case of soybeans and corn, potentially to Brazil, and Brazil is becoming quite good at producing second crop corn. And the, the Mexicans were already looking at importing from China if uh, NAFTA had gone, gone bust. Um, and I think the Chinese are uh, trying very hard to, to diversify their import sources away from just the U.S. The, the so I think it, if we lose that market share, it's often very hard to bring, get grab it back. And um, I'll give you a good example. Um, after the uh, Mad Cow Disease scare, which led to the Japanese um, cutting back on U.S. imports of, of beef. Uh, Australia picked up that market share and it's taken us a long time to get back more or less to where we were uh, when the mad cow disease outbreak occurred and I think we run that risk of losing market share to Brazil in the long run and I don't think that the EU and other emerging economies will make up that loss of market share. Yes, they've increased their imports because US export prices have fallen, but it's not China is a huge market. It accounts for such a significant portion of our exports of soybeans that we're gonna lose market share in China, but we're not gonna make it up elsewhere. And all the estimates I've seen coming out of Purdue, Purdue University, the guys who've done the big uh, forecasts is that overall, um, we we lose export market share in soybeans in the long run. So in answer to your question, Elizabeth, I don't think if we don't resolve this problem soon, we run the risk. We run the risk of losing progressively more market share in the long run. Although a lot depends on Brazil's crop, and we still don't know how substitutable. How you know? We think Brazilian soybeans are more substitutable for U.S. soybeans than we originally thought. I mean, that's what the Purdue guys think. Um, but even just averaging it out. We, we stand to lose market share, and of course that hurts um, U.S. net farm income and, and Ohio net farm income in particular.
2: So the administration has, has said that you know one of their goals for this trade war is to, to even the playing field by getting China to have more fair practices with the U.S. Do you think that we're going to achieve that through this, and is that going to be a trade-off that long-term makes up for some of this market share loss?
1: Two things, we had market access for agriculture. I mean, just look at the growth of the export market for soybeans over the last 20 years. Um, I think you're talking about the issue of intellectual property rights, which is a broader issue mm-hmm. than agriculture. Trade war, in my view, is not a good way of resolving that issue. We should be doing that with our partners in Europe through the WTO. So that's, this is a bad way of resolving a complex issue. Number one, number two, we will not solve the U.S. trade deficit through starting a trade war. Um, In fact, I just I checked this morning. China's trade surplus with the U.S. has actually increased, and the U.S. trade deficit is forecast to increase. And that's because the trade deficit is a macroeconomic phenomenon. That's why I'm going to be talking about this fall in the outlook, the outlook, the outlook Yes, signing NAFTA, the new NAFTA, is a good thing. I'm not denying that. Writing a free trade agreement has probably helped a little bit. But starting a trade war with China in the long run is not going to solve our trade problems in general. Um, So I'm kind of pessimistic, I'm afraid, about where things are. I
2: think that's okay. I know. The way that the farm economy is right now, we all want to hear some good news, but sometimes the hard truths are what we need to hear to make sure that we're planning long-term for how to survive this.
1: Well, I think that, you know, I think every, every major farm commodity group that I talk to or listen to has said they understand that export markets are really fundamental US agriculture, be it North America, I think we gave up something by not signing the TPP. The TPP wasn't perfect, but it would have been good for US agriculture. And uh, it's unfortunate in my view that we didn't sign it. We lost market share in countries like Japan. And what did the EU and Japan just do? They signed a free trade agreement. What did Canada just do with the EU? They signed a free trade agreement. So we're potentially losing out market share to Canada in Europe into Europe and Japan, especially in areas like the dairy sector. Uh, And so, um, and then starting a trade war with our major export market, China, you know, agriculture is caught in the crossfire here. Why? Because the Chinese understand that farmers are an important group politically inside the beltway, and so they hope that farmers and their representatives will put pressure on the administration to back off. It doesn't seem to be working right now, and in fact, as you know, the, the U.S. has ratcheted up the range of goods that it's going to slap tariffs on. This is now going to hurt American consumers much more than it was, um, and the Chinese have retaliated even further. And last week in the New York Times, I saw they're even discussing the possibility of the Chinese dumping U.S. treasuries as a way of fighting this trade war, and that that would hurt the Chinese, but it would do what? It would tank the price of U.S. Treasuries and put a lot of pressure on U.S. interest rates. So I I don't think this is over yet. The Chinese are the second largest economy in the world. They're an export-led economy. Uh, They're not going to give up easily on this. Um, Plus, I think the administration is not going down the right route to resolve the intellectual property rights issue. Um, and I think undermining the WTO in the multilateral trade institution is a bad idea. Is a very bad idea. Um, but that's another topic altogether that uh, I probably bored Amanda with when I was teaching her many years ago. <laughs> not me talking about that. But I think that you know your question about export market share, Elizabeth. What if the WTO breaks down? and we enter into a broader tariff war. I, I think that's, that's not good for global economic growth. And what we haven't talked about is the market facilitation thing. So ben and I did, I don't know if you saw our other report, Amanda, that we just put out. Um, it's gonna help farmers in Ohio, but it's not gonna completely make up for the decline in net farm income that's gonna happen with With lower prices, so I I did a quick. um, I did a quick back. I just checked my calculations. So our baseline net farm income for a representative farmer in Western Ohio, I guess that would be sort of out where you are, Amanda. Um, Right. So this would be a 1,100 acre farm, 50/50 soybean corn rotation. normal sort of cash rents, and uh, normal levels of debt. So if all things being equal, income would have been $63,000, thereabouts. Um, with the price cut, we were forecasting a 64% reduction in farm income. Okay, but with the farm market facilitation program, it is for soybeans. Um, we're looking at a 28% reduction in net farm income in the 2018-2019 the year. So
0: about a third of what it would have been? Yeah.
1: So it's so. a bandaid. That's, that's, what I call, that's what I was quoted as calling it in the Columbus Dispatch by J.D. Malone. <laughs> and that's what this farmer up in Delaware, whose name I forget, um, he, he, he quoted, he called it a bandaid as well. So it's a, a one shot reduc- uh, reduction in losses, and, and it's mostly going to soybean farmers, um, but it's not going to be enough to come out in the, in the coming year. And going back to your question, um, Elizabeth, we forecast out to for 2024 if this tariff stayed in place and if the price declines stayed in place. This was using we used the Purdue forecast and then we used the forecast by Factory out of the University of Missouri. On average, farm incomes by 2024 would have been doing an average by about 59, 54%. That was the number that you might have seen And that all assumes that, so we, Purdue had two forecasts. They had a forecast for um, a relatively low rate of substitution between Brazilian soybeans and U.S. So, U.S. soybeans would, sorry Brazilian, China wouldn't be able to get everything from, China wouldn't be able to get everything from from Brazil because Brazilian soybeans aren't perfect substitutes for the U.S., but they also did a forecast where they're much more substitutable. We took the average, the, the low substitution and the high substitution took the average. That's where our just over 50% decline in farm income would they come from in, in, by 2024. So that's the number you might have seen quoted in various farm newspapers in the state and, and elsewhere.
0: I mean, this has been a really um, even more eye-opening, I think, because like you said, if this continues to go on, uh, the long-term impacts could be huge for our producers. We're not talking about bad prices for a year or two you know we're talking about trying to recover a huge amount of our market so
1: as i said i think farmers have been very unfortunate and caught in the crossfire Mm -hmm. to blame for the intellectual property issue they can't produce enough to feed their own you know their growing livestock population be it pork for poultry. Um, they're a very, you know, they're important market for commodities and for um, the livestock itself. Clearly Brazil is an important competitor for us. Um, we don't want to lose market share to Brazil. But at the end of the day, the trade war was started by the U.S. The Chinese merely retaliated. Um, I know the administration has said the unfair retaliation by the Chinese, but the Chinese had really no choice and they retaliated proportionately. Now I'm not saying the Chinese are innocent in terms of the way they in US intellectual property and other issues of market access, but the trade war was begun by the US and so we need to roll back to where to where we were prior to implementation of the steel and aluminum package. So, do you have any more questions?
0: Well, we always like to wrap up with resources available. Um, you have some um, listed on your website. Is there anywhere else that you'd like to direct people to to learn more or follow up on some of the things we
1: mentioned? Farm, farm Doc out of Illinois, actually, we're advertising something out of Illinois, but they, have, they send out news summaries pretty much once a week. Um, Purdue um, has stuff that they put out as well. So but the big picture is the trade deal going on. And I don't think uh, the signing of the U.S., Canada, Mexico free trade agreement is bringing the Chinese to the bargaining table yet. That's, that's the way I'm looking at it.
0: All right. Well, we really appreciate your time. This was a great overview and in-depth look at what's going on both sides of it. So um, thanks again and we'll probably follow up at some point, hopefully, if things change.
1: (laughs) Thanks for asking me. Hope this was useful and uh, I'd be happy to talk to you guys again and no doubt I'll see you in January sometime. If not before (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's right. If you guys want to see Dr. Sheldon in person, he is going to be speaking at a lot of the outlook meetings around the state. So stay tuned for more information to come out on that. We'll advertise it through the Ohio Ag Manager newsletter, ask your local extension office. Thanks for
2: listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.